Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Thank you for being with us. I am Michael Ball. Well, these are certainly interesting times or, or strange times with this coronavirus going around. So today we have an important show for you. Where are we in commercial real estate today? Now, we're putting this show out today, Thursday, March 19th, and I mention that because most people get this show the day it comes out. But a lot of people are, are watching or listening uh, in the next week or so, and things are moving so fast, uh, it, it's, it's incredible. Well, please welcome my guest. It's Jim Costello, and he's Senior VP with Real Capital Analytics, and he's joining us on, on Zoom. Jim, thanks for being with us, sir. Hey, thanks for having me here today. Well, Jim, uh, we were talking before the show, and it is a it's a strange time. It's it's a bit of a moving target, and and we talked about hey what the market has done in, in 2019, or even what the market has done between January and February, and 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 is like well, it's kind of a kind of historic, right? It's kind of it's history. Who cares? Yeah, I know that's what's uh, bizarre at this point. You know, the life is moving a whole lot faster than the real estate market data. Uh, uh, day by day, hour by hour, things are changing. So, uh, looking at our preliminary figures for February, you know, it looks like you know deal activity may be okay for February, but that doesn't matter at this point. Uh, what matters to a lot of folks is what happens next with this crisis, and uh, for that, you know, we're we're left uh, grasping at straws because you know, it, it's hard to see information coming in real time for real estate. Real estate is a bit of a, a lagging effect. When you have a transaction happening, it's reflective of investor optimism at some point in this last uh, you know, three to nine months. Yeah. And so that that is uh, uh, problematic in terms of getting a real time uh, measure of what's happening. Yeah, and when you look at deal volume and transaction volume and you look at values, there's a lot of things to consider there and and one is just kind of the physicality right now as we we tape the show today most people are kind of in isolation and not moving around and not traveling to go do tours do inspections um, and then also you kind of got hey uh, where can we look around the world to kind of get an idea of what might happen and you guys track uh, properties uh, in other countries right yeah, and uh, we have an office in Singapore, and talking with our team there in January and February, deal volume was down 50% from a year earlier in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, so that is probably an indicator of the kind of thing we're going to see moving ahead. You know, the first challenge that everybody had in the region was, like you said, it's hard to get deals done when you can't see people. You can't go out of your home. Uh, when you can't visit with your clients, when conferences are canceled. Conferences are where the market many times is really made because you get to talk to someone informally over a cocktail. You get a sense of uh, where the desire lines are from, from clients, you know, where business partners might be found. And without that you know, kind of real simple interaction with folks in an informal setting where the stakes are a little bit low, you, can get in, where you can't get that information it's hard to figure out where deals are going to come from next. And that is uh, you know, functionally going to disrupt uh, how everything works. Yeah. And you guys do a great job of, of tracking the market. And, uh, and you've been doing this a long time. And when you look at what's happened in other parts of the world, they're maybe a little ahead of us on this virus. Uh, and you look at kind of 
past historic times when there's been some disruptions. Let's look at what you think we might see uh, in some of the various property types. And I guess maybe we should start with the one that's probably going to be hit the hardest, at least in my mind, and that's hospitality, hotels. What do you think we're going to see there? Yeah, the hotel sector was suffering even before COVID came through. We had already seen a decline in property prices in early 2020. It was already underway. So, uh, yeah, in some sense, this crisis is just a case of kicking a man while he's down. The hotel sector had already been suffering from uh, excess supply in key locations, uh, combined with uh, a plethora of new hotel brands, uh, combined with ongoing competition from disruptive influences like Airbnb. That combination uh, drove some notable defaults uh, for hotel construction projects in uh, Times Square in uh, recent months. Uh, that that you know, challenge that the hotel sector was facing, and now you have this uh, the COVID uh, uh, impact, and it's a sector that is uh, down quite a lot. The REIT valuations are, are in terms of looking at the uh, uh, value of the NAREIT indices for the hospitality and lodging, it's looking like uh, a 30% loss in value so far. Uh, now, that hasn't translated through to the asset market yet. I mean, that's just the valuation of the companies. But you know, the assumption a lot of people have is that eventually that should fall through to the property side. Yeah, and we have a hotel division that sells hotels, and we had an offer about two week, three weeks ago for nine million on a property, and we're talking to the buyer today because now the property's come back available. The other buyer didn't work out, but I wonder why, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's gonna be interesting, to see, interesting to see, and I think he may come in at at, at seven million uh, is is where I think he might. But interesting to see how underwriting uh, is going to change in that market and, and, and how va valuations are going to fluctuate? Well, underwriting is going to change, and that's, that's the other thing that's going to come out of this. this. This crisis, in some sense, is going to expose problems that were already in place in certain properties and accelerate changes that were underway in the economy even before the crisis. Uh, you know, a crisis is a time period when uh, underlying problems in the economy come to light. Now, we're going to see uh, some firms figure out ways to live through this by using more robots, using more machinery as opposed to people. And that is uh, going to under change the, uh, uh, the way people think about uh, using labor in certain cases. Uh, it's going to um, uh, you know, change sort of the need for uh, offices in some areas. You know, people are still trying to run their operations from home, and you know that that is going to uh, probably lead to some better acceptance of co-working and remote working, and not co-working. It's probably going to lead to a better acceptance of remote working uh, by firms than had uh, uh, been in place before, and so that might start to uh, change the need for certain people to be in the office moving forward. Yeah, and that brings uh, kind of one of the questions uh, I have for you as far as your opinion goes. You know, when we look at, say, we're closing a deal at the end of 2020, uh, and we look at the historic numbers on a property, 
might this uh, COVID-19 timeframe be a blip uh, or might it be just a new trend uh, line uh, moving forward on some of the properties? And you mentioned office, so, so let's go there. I mean, one of the things that seems interesting to me about this is, you know, working from home also brings up, hey, we can work at home, but also is going to bring up other problems. I imagine uh, the productivity of most every company is going to go going to go way down. Uh, it also may bring up this uh, a lot more importance to this open office space. I've never been real fond of it anyway. I'm a real germaphobe anyway. Uh, so I, I like having my own room where no one is if they're sick or anything is impacting me. Uh, but uh, so is it uh, potentially is this a blip uh, or is this a trend and, and when will we know how will we know? Yeah, and unfortunately, it, it's going to be a bit before we really do know, you know, if we're lucky, it's going to be a blip. Uh, if we're lucky a couple months, it burns itself out and we can go back to the way everything was before. But there's a lot of reasons to expect that maybe it won't be like that. And the until we have a vaccine and we can really be confident that this thing is uh, dead and buried, uh, if we let everybody out and everybody starts congregating in the exact same ways again, this thing could uh, flare up again. Uh, and you know, there's a lot that the scientists you know, don't know yet. And so we just have to look for information from them as it becomes available. Uh, Ideally, you know, if there was a vaccine and we could we could uh, burn this out immediately, that'd be great, and things would uh, snap back uh, almost instantly. Uh, I think people have to plan for uh, hope for something like that, but plan for something less optimal. Plan for you know, a good eighteen to twenty-four months of reduced activity and uncertainty. Uh, just because we don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, um, and if you are looking for some good news on some of the, uh, there's a lot of good news out there. <laughs> it doesn't uh, uh, hit the TV screen that much. I'll put a link uh, in the show notes at CREshow.com on our current show uh, with a lot of good news about uh, this coronavirus uh, moving forward. Now, let's talk about uh, retail. Uh, because obviously we're all seeing retail get get really hit. Retail was with having a tough go of it uh, already. What do you expect moving forward? Yeah, and again, a crisis like this has opportunity to uh, you know, expose underlying weakness. You know, we had in the retail sector uh, a pullback. You know, people were shopping more online, and you know that that. Certainly, at the moment, we're seeing uh, enormous demand for online shopping. Uh, but you know, once once we get through this crisis period, you know, we'll probably go back to a point where you know certain types of retail properties still make sense. The the you know anything servicing local needs, uh, food service related, you know, there's still a demand for that in a local area. Uh, it's more the discretionary spending and uh, uh, some of the stuff that uh, may have been sold in the malls in the past uh, where there will be some ongoing competition. Now, the, the challenging thing for the moment is that uh, 
Now, there's talk that some of those uh, asset, uh, some of those consumer good types are going to be uh, down throttled through the Amazon pipeline uh, so that they could focus all their efforts on food and medicine and necessities. Um, you know, so this this uh, challenging period we're going through, some of what you see on the on the shopping end during the crisis uh, isn't necessarily what you're going to see afterwards. Uh, but I think that uh, yeah, there are uh, certain properties that you know they they made sense before we hit the crisis. You know, once people can congregate again, once people can be out and about, they will make sense once again. Uh, the challenge is how long before people can uh, socialize and congregate again. Yeah, well, let's hope it's it's fast. We're taping this today, March 19th, on, on a Thursday. And you mentioned that we might have to look at transaction volume uh, dropping certainly a little bit or a dip, but uh, potentially longer. You know, one of the things I saw uh, as, a, as a broker was some sellers were kind of uh, at the really low cap rates, kind of a top of the market pricing. Uh, and, and thinking that was going to last forever and, and, and not wanting to, to sell it at market prices. You know, might this uh, shake some of the fruit from the tree? Maybe some sellers become more, more reasonable. And then with this big uh, stimulus of the Fed's rate reduction, right? What has it been, 150 basis points drop uh, in the last, what, couple, three weeks? Uh, how might that impact if sellers are a little more reasonable? Uh, in their expectations. Uh, uh, the price of financing is, is potentially lower. I guess the Fed's uh, lowering the rate doesn't mean lenders are going to do the same, does it? Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts there. Uh, the low interest rates, I mean, for all of March so far, the 10-year Treasury has averaged 0.9% as of today, so less than 1%. Uh, I mean, that, that's just, uh, we've never seen interest rates in the United States so low. So the natural first reaction is to think, well, if interest rates are that low, then cap rates should fall. That <laughs> there's, you know, the thinking is that if there's a constant spread between the two, that, that it should fall. Challenge is there's not a constant spread. It depends on uh, whether you can get a lower mortgage rate uh, to, to see whether people uh, jump in on that. And there's, you know, talking with folks, again, there's not a lot of data yet, but talking with folks, it seems that there's floors all the major lenders have hit and there's a certain threshold they're not willing to go below in terms of mortgage rates so so that's not a channel for that uh, but but also you know the spread between cap rates and interest rates is also a function of just investor perceptions of risk you know how how strong of uh, an income growth do they expect moving forward and you know the fact that interest rates are so low it's because the economy is uh, moving into a doldrum period and you can't underwrite rent growth because you don't know how strong tenants will be in the future if they're even being business. You know, that's, that's something that makes you hesitant to pay more for a property. So I think you know, from it all, buyers and sellers are probably gonna move apart for a bit until we get more clarity there. So it's not necessarily uh, going to help with uh, you know, lower cap rates and lower mortgage rates. Uh, you know, because of just the, the, the climate uncertainty. Yeah, it, I, I guess it would, it would seem foolish to me to, to expect any lower cap rates. It seems like if I think back when I heard the, uh, was a week, week and a half ago, I heard the NBA, you know, canceling the, the rest of their, their uh, games. I, and that hit me. It's like, all right, this, to me, that was, 
I must be a big NBA fan, right? That was one of my indicators of, all right, yeah. well, the cap rates now, if they were dropping on any property type, they're going to stabilize. And on other properties, they're probably going to start rising. That, that seemed like the turning point to me. Yeah, you know, if uh, uh, people can't get out to uh, do things like that, you can't go to the mall. You can't go to a property. You can't, you know, you can't go to a hotel. You can't go to a resort. Uh, that that's going to change things for a bit. Yeah. Uh, but when we do come out of this, that's that's the thing. You know, if, if we come out quick and cleanly, uh, there still is a lot of capital looking for a home. So that is one thing that is a benefit for properties. And even when we do come out of this, it just given. Uh, the nature of uh, inflation expectations and, and where uh, the amount of capital is at, I still think we're going to be in a low rate environment. Yes, I agree. And and, a, and real estate can be a safe harbor, right? Some folks will really look at real estate as an asset class that it's not going to go to zero. Uh, at, we need, need real estate. Well, we're going to take a short break. We're going to look at a couple other property types and then talk about some strategies that might help you. Uh, while we're in this uh, corona time and, and, and after we pull out of it. We're going to talk about multifamily and industrial. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Have you seen the DNA of CRE? Well, it's a survey you can take about how commercial agents work day to day their technology, their challenges, the systems, and a lot more about how commercial agents and their marketing people work. And you get access to the results. So take the survey, check out the results. You can find it at the show website, which is CREshow.com, and then look for the DNA of CRE. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Well, today we're talking with Jim Costello with Real Capital Analytics. He's Senior VP. And we're talking about commercial real estate and the coronavirus. Uh, here we are. What is it? March 19th, Thursday. Um, there's a real disruption to, to business in general and, uh, and to commercial real estate and, and the tenants in our spaces. And Jim, one of the uh, property types that's really been, been the darling, right, is a multifamily. Uh, what do you expect for multifamily moving forward? I mean, everyone has to live somewhere, right? Yeah, everyone has to live somewhere. Investors are still going to be attracted to the performance characteristics of multifamily. It's got a fairly stable cash flow. A lot of predictability. It's just uh, it's less risky than other property types because of that predictability. Like every other property type, though, there are challenges on underwriting you know, the sector during the middle of the downturn. If tenants have trouble paying rent because they can't work, 
that's going to impact uh, your profitability. Uh, there are uh, other challenges that multifamily faces though, because of the consumer issues. In a number of cities before the crisis, it was already becoming a challenge uh, to deal with local regulations with respect to rent control. Uh, rents were rising. Uh, you know, we have limited construction in many cities. Uh, we've limited what landowners are able to do with the property that they own. And uh, the market is really undersupplying the amount of housing that's needed in the economy. That translated through to higher rents, which for a while was great for property owners, but now it's leading to this government reaction to uh, limit rent growth in many locations. So it's uh, it's a bit of a challenge, uh, you know, looking at some of the bigger issues for uh, for apartments. You know, I think the key for the apartment sector for investors is to look at those cities that are maybe a little less regulatory heavy. Uh, so that you know the market has been able to let uh, landowners do what they what the market will bear with their property and allow them to build these garden apartment complexes in cities that uh, uh, you know uh, will make it more affordable. Uh, areas like that are probably going to face less uh, regulatory burden from the likes of rent control. Right. And this is a bit of a moving target. Here we again, it's March 19th, Thursday, but uh, the government looks like they're going to help uh, consumers and, and help people who maybe lost their jobs. Um, how much of impact will that program or those programs have on a multifamily? Is it, it more helpful to, to that sector than others? Yeah, you know, the households not being able to pay their rent is a critical problem in the middle of this kind of downturn. You have a number of folks who are out of work. Unemployment claims are tracked weekly and, and uh, there's a chart that came out today on that and it just skyrocketed in the last week in terms of the number of folks who aren't home, who aren't working. And, and so that, that becomes a problem for everything because if you know, people can't pay their rent, you know, then you know, the property owner can't pay their mortgage. Property owner can't pay their mortgage. You know, the banks are left holding the bag. And then the whole financial system could shut down and we're left with a financing crisis like in 2008, which would make any downturn we're feeling right now uh, far worse than it is uh, currently. So if we step in and help all those households with some basic income right now, so that they get some cash, that they can cover the bills they've got, and just be stable during this, you know, hopefully temporary period, we can forestall all sorts of problems downstream just by helping individual households right now. And Jim, the, the Fed's reduction, uh, historic reduction really on, on interest rates that they charge, um, might that make lenders be a little more aggressive? Obviously, if uh, we, we lose financing ability, we lose a lot of value in commercial real estate. Uh, does that help lenders be more aggressive? You know, the, the move by the Fed, uh, it's not something that I think will help lenders suddenly cut their mortgage rates to record low levels. I think the move by the Fed is to inspire a different start of a reaction by the, by the lenders. It's not to give everybody a low rate. It's more to keep lending, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to not feel as if uh, they have a... Uh, uh, a limited amount of capital and uh, a need to uh, hoard that capital only for their best clients. 
if you see a loan that looks like a good loan, you can make that loan and not worry about, am I going to have enough uh, capital in the back end? Uh, the Fed is there to back you up and make sure that you have as much capital as you need to get out there and lend. Yeah, let's hope the lenders are are still uh, lending. That certainly helped the economy and, and helped the, the lenders in the, in the long term. Well, another property type, another sector that's done really well has been uh, industrial. Uh, how do you think all this impacts industrial moving forward? It's going to be interesting in the industrial sector to see the supply chain impacts of everybody uh, surging to the store and buying up as much toilet paper and other necessities as uh, as uh, they can take home in their cars, uh, and what happens next there? Because you know that that stuff is still in the in the pipeline. Uh, you know, you're going to have some temporary drawdowns in certain locations, uh, but then it's all going to be restocked, uh, and so it'd be it's going to be interesting to see just how quickly. That, that supply chain restocks itself and you know, some of these warehouses fill up again. But longer term, when we come out of this, it's something that because it's not a property type where people have that day-to-day -day interaction with it, except through that online shopping, you know, it's, not, uh, it's not something that you're going to have that uh, same kind of negative reaction from, from the shock, I feel. It's, uh, I think, it's a sector that's been attractive because of the move towards online shopping. And it's going to show some characteristics through this that I think people will continue to like. And Jim, when we look at uh, what's happening right now uh, with uh, the supply chain issues from, from other countries that we've seen, uh, the medical supplies and things that uh, uh, we, we are not creating them, we're not making them, we're not manufacturing these things here in the U.S. When we look long-term, might that bring more manufacturing, more industrial use, more warehousing of these things uh, back to the U.S.? Are we kind of maybe seeing that today? You know, the, the challenge of this current downturn is that it, it exposes where the economy had some uh, weaknesses, where there were some fault lines ready to slip in the case of a crisis. And one of them was that so much of the manufacturing was coming from China in terms of China being the low cost location. And firms you know, may, uh, from this point forward, look at that and redesign their distribution networks. There's no one point of failure. You know, there's this year's crisis on healthcare, but what if there's some new crisis next year? Uh, you know, knock on wood on that. But, but because of that, firms are thinking about how do they restructure their supply chains? Uh, think of it as a, a more of a diversified portfolio of where they're getting their stuff. So sure, China will play a, an important role for the manufacturer of certain goods still, but firms may decide to split up that manufacturing, produce a few things in China, produce a few things in Mexico, produce a few things somewhere in developing countries in Africa, and you know, look for other low-cost locations uh, in the United States as well and build a portfolio effect. Not, not bring everything back to the United States, uh, not put everything in the United States or China alone, but to spread it around to many different places. And you know, the challenge with that, it's going to be more expensive to have such a distributed network, but you know, from a risk perspective, they may be a little bit better off. So that's going to be uh, a big topic of discussion 
in the coming months, how do firms rebuild their supply chains to be more resilient in the face of the next crisis? Well, I certainly like hearing more of it uh, in the U.S. and you know, get more jobs and, and uh, uh, you know, and more security for, for the U.S. In, in times of trouble like this. And what do you expect today? I know this is kind of a moving target here with how long uh, some of this isolation and things last. Um, but, you know, this worldwide economy and the U.S. economy, are we like definitely headed for a recession in your mind? Uh, you know, in, in recessions and, and where we're headed on that, you know, you know uh, Steve Mnuchin was saying to expect uh, uh, up to a 20% unemployment rate in the United States. Um, you know, that's coming from the Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, you know, if, if he's saying that, I don't see how we avoid a recession. And when you look at times of, of trouble, especially when we, if you're looking at the entire world almost, um, is real estate an asset class that people are going to go, hey, you know what, uh, that's probably a safe place to put money, U.S. Re commercial real estate? Yeah, it's, here's the thing though, you know, in, in, in other crises, real estate was a safe place. Uh, and, and, and there is a certain safety still in knowing that you have a hard asset. Uh, the challenge comes into how does, uh, you know, how do I get paid? And it's, uh, if my tenants are having trouble, you know, that, that, that's, that's the challenge there. Yeah. Well, what advice would you leave our audience with, Jim, uh, related to where we are again? And I, I keep saying the date because if you're watching or listening to this a week from now, it could be different. But as of Thursday, March 19th, what would you tell listeners today about that control and own and invest com in commercial real estate? Yeah, you know, the day by day, take it day by day. You know, you can't assume that, uh, you don't panic. You know, that we are facing some challenges. You know, we're probably gonna see high unemployment rates, you know, reduced economic activity for a bit. It is going to come back, you know, this will pass. So don't panic and uh, unload everything at, at uh, a tremendous discount right away. There's going to be problems to fix things coming out of this as well. You know, helping firms rebuild supply chains, helping uh, companies rethink their real estate strategies. Uh, there's going to be a lot of work that comes out of this in, in the coming months. It's going to be a couple of lean months, but when we come out of this, I think that uh, the sector is uh, you know, going to still look attractive to a lot of folks. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. We'll get through this. Everybody hang in there. Uh, don't freak out, right? Well, Jim, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate uh, your information as usual is excellent. Thank you. It was good to talk with you. All right. Well, thank you for joining us and uh, let us know what you think. You know, if you own property, you're an asset manager, you know, what are you seeing? Leave us some comments. Thank you for sharing the show. Uh, please connect with us on your favorite social media and uh, hey, keep your head up. We're going to get through this. Things will be fine. Till next week, be sure that you always lead, learn and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm 
doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit BullRealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.